But the problem is not just that we get so busy that we run out of time for God and for God's work. But what if I told you that deep down, a lot of people actually desire to be crazy busy. I know that might sound crazy in and of itself, but people desire to be busy because then they feel needed. They feel valued. They feel like other people need them. Other people want them in their lives. And it makes them feel like they're finally enough. I think proof of that is, is what empty nesters get. That feeling when, when the kids or the grumpy teenagers finally move out of home. But then that feeling of emptiness sinks in. Now what? People like feeling busy because they feel enough when really feeling enough is something only God can give us. The following is a sermon from Peace Lutheran, a church located in downtown Aiken, South Carolina. For more information and for more content, go to peaceinaiken.com. Jesus, our great teacher, God, a wonderful story, a wonderful lesson for us this morning. Please stand for the reading of the Gospel. The Gospel according to Luke chapter 20. He went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love, Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, Then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them, but they were afraid of the people. This is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Jesus gives us the perfect parable for Lent. In just one story, Jesus retells thousands of years of history. God sends a prophet, Israel rejects them. God keeps sending prophets, Israel keeps rejecting prophets. 
Finally, God decides to send his son knowing that he would be rejected. And so the, the tenant farmers in Jesus' story, or the, the religious leaders, they were listening to this story just three days before they would take God's son outside the city of Jerusalem and kill him. And so this parable really puts us in the context of Lent and Holy Week. When we think about the rejection and the suffering and death of Christ. But after this parable of rejection and suffering, Jesus gives us this, this glimmer of hope. Now I know, I know we're not in Easter quite yet, but we might even call this glimmer of hope an Easter egg. Do you know what I mean by Easter egg? I'm not talking about a physical Easter egg, but Easter eggs are these, these hidden details, these hidden references often in movies and TV shows that only really the, the careful observer notices. Disney movies will do it all the time. If you've seen the Disney movie Moana, actually the, the flying carpet from Aladdin shows up in Moana. Or in Hercules, there's a scene where Hercules puts on this fur coat, this lion fur, and it looks just like Scar from The Lion King. Marvel does it too. Stan Lee, the creator of Marvel Comics, he always makes an appearance somehow in the Marvel movies. But if you're not paying attention, or if you don't really understand the connection, you might miss it. But once you see it, you can't unsee it. And so Jesus really gives us an Easter egg of sorts in the text this morning. When Jesus references Psalm 118, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now it might be easy to miss that and all the other details that Jesus is talking about. Or maybe if, if you don't know the connection to, to Psalm 118, this messianic psalm that's about Jesus. But once you see it, you can't unsee it. Even in the middle of Lent, even in the middle of all of this rejection and suffering, Jesus points our eyes to an Easter kind of hope, which is the greatest hope of all. The hope that Christ is our cornerstone. We are built on him, and we keep building on him. Maybe, maybe the place to start really is, what is a cornerstone exactly? You might say, well, vicar, it's the stone in the corner, and you wouldn't be wrong. But we're going to be thinking in a lot of different building metaphors this morning, and so I do want to just frame it for you a little bit, no pun intended there. But what, what is a cornerstone? It, was, it would have been the first stone that was laid. And so the angle of that stone would have determined where all the other walls would have keyed off of. And the strength of that stone would have supported just a tremendous weight of that, of that whole building. And even the shape of the stone would determine how that weight was, was balanced and distributed and whether or not you'd have an even building or a crooked building. So just one little crack, one imperfection, one wrong edge, that could prove disastrous. 
And so the builders had just a huge responsibility in selecting that first stone. When Jesus quotes Psalm 118, he's really calling out the builders. In other words, Jesus is calling out the religious leaders. They were going to take a look at this stone, this perfect stone, and just toss it aside. These religious leaders had taken a look at Jesus and decided he wasn't the Messiah they were looking for. Wasn't the Messiah that they were hoping for. And so these religious leaders, they were building on the wrong stone. They were building on their hopes for this earthly Messiah, on on their political hopes for Israel, and and really on their own lifestyles and accomplishments and and all their ways of life. Really, what they were doing was replacing God with themselves. I think the, the religious leaders of Jesus' day give us a lot to think about. I know a lot of people will say the America that we're living in today is becoming more and more non-religious. But there's an author by the name of David Zoll, and he thinks the exact opposite. I want to share a quote with you. David Zoll writes, Our religious crisis today is not that religion is on the wane, that it's shrinking, but that we are more religious than ever and about too many things. We are almost never not in church. Do you know what he's he's getting at? It's not that America is becoming non-religious. It's that America is becoming absorbed in replacement religions. To use a different metaphor, it's not that we're not building. It's that we're building on the wrong stone. And it's fascinating. He writes this whole book about how things like career and politics and food and romance and all these different things are really what's replacing organized religion. It's it's fascinating. He, He even says how something like busyness can serve as a replacement religion. Now, I think, I think busyness is something worth talking about right now. It's the first Sunday in April, and I think a lot of people's April calendars are just jam-packed. But the problem is not just that we get so busy that we run out of time for God and for God's Word. But what if I told you that, deep down, a lot of people actually desire to be crazy busy? I know that might sound crazy in and of itself, but people desire to be busy because then they feel needed. They feel valued. They feel like other people need them. Other people want them in their lives. And it makes them feel like they're finally enough. I think proof of that is is what empty nesters get, that feeling when, when the kids or the grumpy teenagers finally move out of home But then that feeling of emptiness sinks in. Now what? People like feeling busy because they feel enough, when really feeling enough is something only God can give us. And so that's a replacement religion. Politics can do the same thing. Did you know this? That apparently right now, more people are basing their religious views on their political views. 
So that, that has switched. It didn't used to always be that way, but you think about it, where are people finding their sense of belonging these days? Is it, is it in the church pews, or is it in a political party? All of these things can serve as replacement religions, the wrong stone to build on. I don't know what it, it might be for you in your life. Maybe it is career, family, friends, whatever it is. But I know that those things are flawed. They have tiny little cracks. The angles and the edges aren't just right. And I know they can support some of the weight. They can. But they can't support all of it. And all of those things, they crumble under the weight of death. You think about it, you try to build on a political figure. What happens to political figures? They die. You try to put all of your hope on a nation, but nations come and nations go. You try to build even on the people around you and and the needs of people around you. But really, the people around you, they're just as good at escaping death as you and I are. Jesus tells us what we can build on. When he quotes Psalm 118, the stone the builders has rejected, he knows that he'd be rejected by those religious leaders. But careful you don't miss what he's also saying. After his rejection, what would happen? After that stone is rejected, it becomes the cornerstone. So after Jesus is taken outside of the city of Jerusalem and killed, what happens? Life. Life. So why build on something that is dying when you can build on something that's undying? Why build on something that crumbles under the weight of death when you can build on something that crushes death? Christ is our cornerstone. We are built on him. We are built on his power over death. We are built on his love. That is a rock-solid foundation. Our salvation is so secure. The beauty of, of Jesus quoting that psalm, Psalm 118, right before his death, it really can't be overstated. There's another verse in Psalm 118. I will not die, but live. I know, I know we're not in Easter yet, but... Even in the middle of Lent, when you see that kind of hope, you can't unsee it. Christ is that perfect cornerstone for us. We will not die, but live. That stone has been set. But the building, it keeps going. After Easter, the the church of Christ kept being built up. After Jesus ascended into heaven, that church kept being built up. Pentecost, thousands and thousands of people were added to Christ's church. And as the centuries rolled by, thousands of people all over the world were added to Christ's church. What do we have this morning? We have a family of believers built up in Christ's church right here in Aiken, South Carolina. And we we have a a building project, don't we? To bring real peace to real people. 
And we do that through Jesus Christ, our cornerstone. We want people built on that rock-solid cornerstone and to be built into his church. Once you have the eyes of faith to see what a perfect cornerstone Christ really is, it can be difficult when you see people take a look at Christ and toss him aside. It was a very sobering thought for me a couple weeks ago in New York City. You talk about a city that is built up. I mean, millions and millions of people. And you just wonder, how many are built on Christ? I know we we can't see into their hearts. We don't know where they're at, but millions of people? I I think it's, it's equally heartbreaking when it's the few people in our lives, when it's the family and friends that more than anything, you want them to know Christ. You want them to know what it's like to live life on an unshakable foundation. But they look at Christ and they keep tossing him aside. And you see them, you see their life just teetering back and forth on a cracked foundation. We want everyone on that rock-solid, perfect cornerstone of Christ. And believe me when I tell you, so does God. See that in the heart of, of the vineyard owner. You remember in Jesus' story, he kept sending servant after servant after servant. That's our God who kept sending prophet after prophet after prophet because he wanted to build up his church. It's hard for me to even explain how strongly, how passionately God wants all people to know Christ. And maybe really the best way for me to explain it is is the way that Jesus himself explained it. Servant after servant was rejected. That father decides to send his son. Some might call that foolish. Some might call it reckless. Doesn't that father know what's going to happen? Yes, he does. And he sends him anyways. That is your Lord's heart. The same Lord who sent his only son into the world is the same Lord who keeps sending prophet after prophet after prophet. I don't know the hearts of all those millions of people in New York City, but I do know the Lord's heart. And I know that he's sent prophets there. I know there are Christian pastors, church workers, Christian people sharing God's word and building up his church brick by brick. And he sent them here too. Actually, the Lord is working on sending us another one right now, isn't he? We don't know who he is. We don't know where he comes from. We don't know when he's going to get here. But we know that the Lord is working and sending another pastor our way to build up his church. And so what are we afraid of? As a church during this process, are we afraid that there's going to be some construction delays, I'll say? Or are we afraid that 
You know, we don't have the building plans in our hands. We can't really see where exactly this is going. Or even in our own individual lives. Are we afraid because can we really carry that weight of of sharing Christ with everyone in our lives and bringing everyone to Christ? Know your Lord's heart. Trust his persistence to keep sending prophet after prophet. Trust the power of his word and trust his plan. God is the chief builder. He has built us on the foundation of Christ. It is rock solid. And the walls, the walls of his church are getting stronger and stronger as more and more stones are fit closely together. Because that's what the Lord is doing here. He has put you in each other's lives to strengthen each other, to build each other up. But all of the weight, all of the weight rests on Christ and is perfectly balanced with Him. So what do we have to be afraid? We keep on building. We keep on building on the unshakable promises of Christ. We build on Christ who has power over death. Psalm 118, I will not die but live. And then the verse goes on to say, and I will proclaim what the Lord has done. How do we keep building? Well, we keep proclaiming. We proclaim Christ, the prophet God's son who was rejected and then raised. We proclaim that we too, we will not die, but live. Jesus really gives us an Easter egg in Psalm 118, doesn't he? And and actually, Psalm 118 makes a couple different appearances throughout Holy Week. As Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, what are the people singing? The words of Psalm 118. Psalm 118 was always sung on Passover. And so on that Thursday evening, as they're up in the upper room, what's on Jesus and his disciples' lips? They're singing the words of Psalm 118. Right in the middle of Lent, right in the middle of all the suffering and rejection. Jesus is constantly pointing our eyes to an Easter kind of hope. Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Psalm 118, verse 23. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, you are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Amen. Amen.